Every culture has a different way of assigning people names. Sometimes they use different words as names, sometimes they're in a different order, and sometimes they have a completely different system altogether. One of the most complicated naming systems in history had to be that used by the ancient Romans. They had a very elaborate system for naming people, with different rules for men and women, and even special rules if you were adopted. Learn more about Roman naming conventions on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. I recently had the chance to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond, and I can attest to its exceptional aromas with hints of caramel and vanilla intertwining with its oakiness, which provide a well-rounded flavor profile. Taking a sip is akin to experiencing a piece of bourbon history firsthand. Heaven Hill Distillery may be America's most quintessential bourbon distillery. Established in 1935 after the end of Prohibition, the distillery was established by the Shapira family and has remained a family-owned distillery to this day. In 1897, Congress passed the Bottled in Bond Act, which set forth strict rules for any bourbon labeled Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond bourbon goes beyond the stringent requirements of the law by aging its bourbon for seven years, not four. The end result is a gold medal-winning bourbon that truly stands out. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill reminds you, think wisely, drink wisely. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code DAILY to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. The genesis of this episode came from a time when I was explaining how Icelandic naming conventions work to one of my friends. There are different systems for how people are named all over the world, and that's going to be the subject of a future episode, sooner probably rather than later. As I began doing research, I wanted to talk about the history of how people were named, and I realized that explaining how the Roman naming system worked was going to take up most of the episode. So, I figured I'd just do a separate show on it. The essence of the Roman naming system was known as the Tria Nomina, or the three names. You might be thinking that if there are three names, it must be like the modern Western naming system where people have three names. You have a first name, a middle name, and a last name. However, that's not quite the case. The three parts of the Tria Nomina were the Praenomen, the Nomen, and the Cognomen. I'm going to start by explaining the system for men, which was different than the system used for women. Just so you have a point of reference, I'll use as an example a name that you might be familiar with, Gaius Julius Caesar. The Praenomen was the first name, so in this example, the Praenomen used by Caesar was Gaius. 
The praenomen would be assigned to a child on their dies lutricus, or the day of lustration. This would take place eight days after birth for a girl and nine days after birth for a boy. The thing was, there weren't many praenomens that were in use. In the early Republic, there were maybe three dozen praenomens, and that dropped down to about 18 in the first century BC. If you've ever heard of any story in ancient Rome, it was filled with guys named Marcus, Gaius, Lucius, Sextus, Tiberius, Publius, etc. Also, the eldest son of a Roman would usually get the exact same praenomen as his father. Subsequent boys in the family would be given the praenomen of uncles or other ancestors. There is, of course, a massive problem with every man getting the same praenomen as his father, and there only being about a dozen and a half praenomens to go around. It would get real confusing real quick. For example, the father of Gaius Julius Caesar was Gaius Julius Caesar. Practically, only close friends and family would ever refer to someone by their praenomen. This problem was partially alleviated by the second name, the nomen. This is where the three-name system differs from the modern Western system. The nomen isn't a middle name. It's a family name, but not quite a family name. In Latin, it would refer to what is known as a gens. The closest thing I can think of would be to describe a Roman gens as a version of a Scottish clan. It's an extended kinship with a common, if often remote, ancestry. If your last name is McAllister, for example, you can claim membership in Clan McAllister, even if you aren't closely related to other people in the clan. In my example above, Gaius Julius Caesar was a member of the gens Julia, which is a very ancient patrician clan. One of the things that became common in the later empire as Roman citizenship was expanded to more and more people was for these new citizens to take the nomen of the emperor who bestowed citizenship upon them. In the year 212, Emperor Marcus Aurelius bestowed citizenship on every free adult male in the empire. This led to a whole bunch of people who adopted the nomen Aurelius, who otherwise might not have had a nomen because they weren't Roman. Just having two names, one of which was very common, didn't actually solve the problem of a unique identity, as some clans were rather large. The final part of the trianomia was the cognomen. The cognomen was more of an actual family name that was used within a clan. Going back to my Scottish clan example, you might be one of the Glasgow McAllisters as opposed to one of the Aberdeen McAllisters. The thing is, the cognomen actually developed as a nickname that just became hereditary. For example, the original meaning of the word Caesar was hairy. Likewise, the Roman general Gnaeus Pompeius Strabo's cognomen meant cross-eyed. Caesar wasn't hairy, in fact he was notoriously going bald, and Strabo wasn't cross-eyed. However, at some point in the past, they had an ancestor who was, and the name just stuck. Just to make things more complicated, there was also a fourth name that was often used in the trianomia, which was known as the ognomen. An ognomen wasn't something that most Romans had, but it further helped distinguish men with similar names. An ognomen was sort of an honorific which became hereditary. For example, when Publius Cornelius Scipio defeated Hannibal at the Battle of Zama in Carthage, he was given the ognomen Africanus. This was a common practice for generals who conquered a particular territory. Germanicus, Britannicus, Gothicus, Asiaticus were all ognomens that were given out. Augustus was an ognomen used by all subsequent emperors. In the later empire, more names began being used by the upper class as there was attempts to add in names that represented their maternal ancestry as well. If you were related to an emperor through your mother's side of the family, for example, then you would want to have that in your name so everyone knew it. One other wrinkle is that sometimes, if you wanted to be really specific and formal when referring to someone, you would use the person's filiation. 
Filiation is just referencing who that person's father was. It wouldn't be used in normal speech, and you can usually only find them on inscriptions for tombs and on buildings. And I should also explain what they did with the names after people were adopted. In Rome, adoption was really common, and they had totally different attitudes towards it. If someone didn't have a son to carry on the family name, they would just adopt someone to do it for them. When a son was adopted, he would take the name of the adopted father, except he would usually use the diminutive of his previous nomen as his agnomen. For example, when Gaius Octavius was posthumously adopted by Julius Caesar, his new name officially would have become Gaius Julius Caesar Octavianus. The naming convention for women was very different. I should note that Rome was a patriarchal society, and by that I don't mean it in the way that the term is used today. I mean it in an extremely literal sense. The patri in patriarchal is the Latin word for father, and the father, aka the patrifamilius, literally had the power of life and death over his family. Women were usually just given the feminine version of the family nomen. Outside of the very early republic, women were usually never given a praenomen. For example, the daughter of Gaius Julius Caesar was simply known as Julia. In the event that there were two daughters, they would be given the exact same name, but they would be differentiated by calling the eldest daughter Maxima and the youngest daughter Minima. What if there were more than two daughters, you might be wondering? Then, just like the sons of the boxer George Foreman, they would be numbered. If a family had four daughters named Julia, for example, they would be Julia Maxima, Julia Secunda, Julia Tertia, and Julia Quarta. Over time, in the imperial period, the practice of naming women expanded, and oftentimes there would be more than one name given. The second name would often come from the mother, another female relative, or just another male relative from the other side of the family. These second names replaced their tradition of numbering daughters by just giving them individual second names. For example, the wife of Augustus, and one of the most powerful women in Roman history, was Livia Drusilla. Both of her names came from her father, Marcus Livius Drusus Claudianus. She was later formally adopted into the Julia clan, and she was then known as Julia Augusta. I should finally note that women did not change their name when they got married, including their family name. I'll end by demonstrating just how confusing all of this can be by going through the progression of the changes to the name of the first emperor Augustus. He was born Gaius Octavius. His father then added a cognomen so that he was Gaius Octavius Thernius. He was then adopted by Julius Caesar, and he would have become Gaius Julius Caesar Octavianus. However, he never used Octavianus because he wanted to play up his ties to Caesar. When Caesar was deified and declared a god by the Senate, he started to go by Gaius Julius Divi Filius Caesar, or Gaius Julius, son of the divine Caesar. When he was given the title of Imperator, he then went by Imperator Caesar Divi Filius, which means Emperor Caesar, son of the divine. He was then given the title of Augustus, and his name became Imperator Caesar Divi Filius Augustus. His full title at the time of his death, translated into English, would have been Emperor Caesar Augustus, son of the divine, Pontifus Maximus, consul 13 times, hailed Imperator 21 times, held tribunate power for 31 years, and father of his country. Finally, after he died, he simply became known as the Divine Augustus. And if all this seems sort of confusing, that's because it was. Usually in casual use, even the Romans would just refer to someone by their cognomen, which is why Caesar is known as Caesar and Cicero is known as Cicero. All of this fell apart when the Western Empire collapsed, and the naming conventions for people, especially in Europe, became radically simplified. 
That, however, I will leave for another episode. Everything Everywhere Daily is an Airwave Media Podcast. The associate producers are Thor Thompson and Peter Bennett. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so over at Patreon.com. And remember, if you leave a review or send in a question, you too can have it read on the show.